Hello, listener. What you're about to hear is a What Are We Do Show patron unlock. This is material which our Patreon supporters have early access to. If you'd like to experience these episodes when they're at their freshest, become a What Are We Do Show patron today at patreon.com slash W-A-R-U-I-D-E-S-H-O-U. Greetings, ladies, gentlemen, and envies. Welcome to Second Stream, episode number nine. I tried to think of the way to say nine in another language, and my brain drew a blank. <laughs> Hooray for me. Um, it's Watery Desho. We out here recording, talking about shows that you love. This is the patron exclusive for a bit which is not technically exclusive episode and i'm the subtle doctor leading not very well on this fun fabulous frugal frogtastic friday my doglets oh God. and well <laughs> that word i I'm never gonna be able to get over that word. Good God! Like I could be, I could be like in an in an office meeting, right? I could be like discussing the future of a company, something extremely deadly serious, like where you could hear pin drops, mm. and then suddenly, out of nowhere, someone will either say or it'll pop into my head the word "doglets," and I'll just be rolling on the floor. <laughs> and now we remember, yes. and now we remember Bob and all the wonderful life he lived, and how very fond he was of the word "doglets," and I'm just like. Pfft. <laughs> he is survived by his one and only son, Doglets. Oh God! <laughs> and stifling laughter amid the the dourness. Uh, the the lovely man you hear speaking right now, if you didn't know, is the foremost Guilty Gear player in all of our hearts and minds, Shadon. Good evening, everyone. Well, uh, if I may get a statement in before we begin, uh, it goes something a little bit like this. <sighs> have you ever heard, have you ever had like a moment folks in your lives where you've breathed such a sigh of relief where you've been you know to a place and you think to yourself god this is crap this is you know this is like being forced to sit on the you know it's a small world ride at disneyland with your exceptionally annoying racist uncle you know <laughs> and you're forced to sit through it and you just take it I, never, I, I want to escape. Been. I want to escape by Khan. And then, lo and behold, though, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Now, you know, I earned my degree in torturing metaphors, so let me just dial it back a little bit and explain for you all. You obviously must have uh, listened to our previous episode on Given, and I was uh, quite miffed on it, let's put it mildly. And we both, we both were quite, you know, annoyed. And so we get to this episode, and I'm just like, I'm like, you know, clutching at my collar, like, yeah. And, well, it won me right back. So 
Thank you, Given. Thank you, if nothing else, for proving that, you know, anime shows, or any show in general, is not doomed to completely face plants and never recover. Like, you know, you, you stumble, but you didn't actually fall over in a hilarious America's, you know, home movies kind of moment. So, thank you for that show. Thank you very much. Good to have you back. If it, I think it, it fell, but maybe just to, like, one knee. And then it managed to to lift itself yeah. up or, and continue going. Or it's like, you know, it's like running in a marathon and you're just so far ahead of everyone else. You start getting a bit, you know, a bit late, a bit lazy, I suppose is the word. Like, you know, you start taking the piss a little bit. You're just waving to the crowd and then, oops, you ran into a lamppost. Ouch. That's painful. <laughs> but because you're that far ahead after, you know, you know, correct, collecting yourself a little bit, you know, laying the birds and, you know, all the, all the stars and your eyes fly out. You just get back going. You just keep on trucking. So, that's this episode in a nutshell. It got me right back to where I was previously, which was loving this show. Whew! You know, you, you know, uh, like all good Catholic boys and girls, I attended something called Stations of the Cross. Are you familiar with this I exercise? Okay. I didn't expect that you would be, you heathen. Guilty. So, basically, yep. <laughs> uh, me, me now, too. But, uh, basically... Uh, there are, I believe, 14 different uh, either stained glass murals or uh, sometimes pictures that you're meant to uh, turn around and face one at a time, and a special sort of passage is uh, read, and a prayer is prayed, and then you turn and face the next one, and each one is about a different moment on Jesus's sort of journey to May I ask, and resurrection. is this on Instagram? Yeah. Because it feels like it'd be a lot more convenient than going to well, church. Well, you know, it really, it, it truly should be. Uh, they should do Instagram. They should make it a time lapse, add some like fancy some, visualizers. Some some that shit. <laughs> yep, yep, totally. Like throw a hot beat behind it. It'd be sick. Uh, but there was one uh, that this, you know, this discussion made me think of. There was like Jesus falls the first time. And it, I think it happens two or three times. And uh, I'm hoping that Forgiven, this is not, you know, or, or episode eight was not Given Falls the first time. I hope it was Given Falls the one and only time it's going to Have fall. Have you forgiven it? And... <laughs> if, if we were in the same room, it'd be... I'd be giving it to you, Bree. Elbow smash. I thought it was a clean backhand. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I have a little tiny itsy bitsy germ of worry that remained after the episode is over that I will talk so about. Nice, to be fair. Later. Okay. Okay. It may very well be the same. But time. okay, that'd be it'd be interesting to compare notes. We have not talked about this. We frequently don't talk about our viewpoints beforehand. Uh, so. Um, so yeah, we're learning about each other's views on the air here, but like, but yeah, I uh, largely, I'm super positive on this one. I thought like as a piece of catharsis for the story and for the characters, it was tremendous. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the culmination of everything they've been working towards. And despite all the bumps in the road in the context of the story that is within that framework, it's pretty much been pulled off. And there's still time left, you know, for us to further examine uh, the growing relationship between Ernie Yama and Matthew. Because um, 
I should mention, by the way, folks, before we continue this discussion any further, that, again, the format of Second Stream is that we will not be discussing events in great detail. We'll only be bringing up, like, contextual details where relevant. So we're assuming you've already watched the episode. If you haven't, then please make sure you do before continuing this podcast. I'll just plug your fingers in your ears instead of your headphones and go, la 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 This works for me many times, especially when I have to listen to people at work. Anyway... La la la. Like just like that. Is that how yes. it goes? <laughs> exactly. Well done, Dad. Well done. Um, the, the daft yeah. tune. <laughs> so I suppose I'll lead in with this very quick point of mine, which I'm pleased to see that this show is doing, and it actually is similar to another show that I've been watching in parallel, although we're not currently discussing, which I feel like in an alternate timeline we probably are already, because it's just as good, if not as if not better. But let's talk very briefly about the concepts of like romantic fiction especially in tv shows and the constraints of seasonal formats so you of course stock um, and hopefully you people at home remember that we covered mmo junkie and we got to I we do. have to come back to this as a frame of reference because not only was it the first what thing we ever covered on stream before but also because it serves as kind of a it's good but there's so many different ways it could be better like comparison point for a lot of stuff that we cover and one of the reason, oh sorry, one of the things that I know as a way it could be better is that it shows us in that particular show the build up to uh, Sakurai and, and Morioka uh, actually becoming a couple, but then once they hit that particular point, that's when the show ends, with the exception of the OVA episode where it pretended they weren't a couple anymore for some inexplicable reason. Sigh. Yeah. Why can't they just fuck, man? Why can't they just literally <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Are you asking for a, a hentai OAV? Uh, not as such, no. I'm just asking for, you know, an actual relationship thing where rather than just constantly, you know, like, thinking that you've both got cooties and just trying to, you know, not touch each other. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to see the fucking, but you want to you wanna yeah. see them, like, post-fit and know, okay, they, they've been, they're together. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times in shows like those, I think to myself that, you know... I honestly got more of a chemistry between uh, Frank Drebin and one of his flames in the Naked Gun movie when they're wearing giant condoms. Oh, God. You know I'm right. <laughs> that, uh, always wear protection. Oh, me. Anyway, anyway, so why am I bringing this up? Because that to me, I think, is it's reasonable if you have a multi-season show. Like, you know, you build up to having a relationship you get to the end of the season, that's when the point, you know, when it becomes formal, when it becomes official. And then you have another season in which we then begin to explore that. And that's great. MO Junkie didn't get a second season, so eh, feels like, you know, we missed out on it. But fine, we still like the show. What I really appreciate yeah. about Given, and this is, relates to the other show I was talking about, which is uh, Oh Maidens in Your Savage Season by, you know, uh, I don't give no fucks Mario Kart because by fucking God. Uh, but anyway, that's discussion for a different time. Is that both of the you live in her truth exactly Speaking is that of. both of these shows are, have actually reached a point in which the characters are now items but they haven't concluded their runtime yet now okay probably jumping the gun a little bit on given here because spoilers uh Matthew and Nuoniyama kiss in this episode but it feels like Ooh, it boy. feels like the culmination it feels like you know we've reached a, a a monumentous occasion for the show and for the characters within to have them overcome all of their own problems to have just that little moment. And so for me, I feel like, well, they might not be in a relationship yet. This is like as close as we're going to get to it, but there's still time for us to examine it after that. And I really appreciate the show for doing that because at the start of this, um, of this series, 
Although I don't know if I vocalized it out loud, I was honestly of the opinion that it would end with them kissing on the final episode, if it happened at all. Mm. Uh, like, in the closing mm. moments. And I'd be like, oh, that's neat and all, but can we get something more? Can we see them, like, you know, go on from that? Yeah, at the beginning, I was very much, like, uh, thinking that they would not, you know, consummate their relationship in any sort of way physically. It would have no no skinship, Shadon. No <laughs> skinship? What a term. <laughs> Holy crap. Did you just it's make that one up? one of my least favorite words. Um, no, Google it. <laughs> it's a real... Am I... Am I... <laughs> like, uh, physical affection, contact, I'm, oh, uh, man. and I'm such. Gonna, I'm going to totally put that on my Tinder profile. Looking for skinship. God <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no one swiping right on that. Fucking hell. Oh, oh. Never. Thank you for that, Doc. But yeah, yeah. No, sure. I. But that's, you know, I'm with you. I. We had no exposure to this manga or anything like that. And I think, you know, it's fair to say that neither one of us is like a, a BL or, or even a... Um, like a shoujo romance expert. So I'm not even a regular romance we, expert. Never mind anything no. else. <laughs> we, right. Uh, so, like, uh, we kind of didn't really, like, you know, we like banana fish and maybe a couple of other things. But, you know, I'm very pleasantly surprised that we got this. Like, when when the kiss happened, like, my brain, like, the inside of my brain probably looked like a, I don't know, a fucking Skittles commercial. I, I, I heard air like, horns going off in my head. <laughs> It was it was like fireworks going off in the air. Uh, a roller coaster had just crested over the top of the hill and started its very fast descent. There was a fucking uh, Skrillex playing in the Skrillex. background, and also <laughs> and also somehow you know Neil Armstrong is is uh, going one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And it's like, yeah, boy, yeah, <laughs> move forward. Uh, we fucking, we've got through the aporia. Uh, it's a Greek word. Uh, aporia it means like uh, stuck or clogged. And often, I only know it because the platonic dialogues, especially the early ones, are aporetic. They end with no answers actually being found. Uh, and we fucking got past that. We got... There's a something like we, we we they're together, man. They are together. I know, I know. Yes, I I was so happy to see that moment, and I mean maybe it's cheeky me to steal again to talk about talk about, but do you want to, we need to talk about the kiss in depth because there's so much to it simply beyond the catharsis that I really really liked. I mean, holy shit! I mean, if I may be so blunt, right? This show, this episode made me angry, and it didn't make me angry at it specifically, I must say. But as a Cisette dude, like, I watched this episode and I thought, my god, the stuff that serves specifically for my demographic is such junk compared to this. It's mm. honestly kind of, like, making me a little livid thinking about it. Not that I'm ungrateful for stuff like Given, of course, but holy crap. Anyway. Anyway, so... Uh, just a little bit of context here, because it's important I'm framing like the point I'm gonna make. So the seasons, you know, after giving after being given enough time to repair the broken strings on Matthew's guitar, um, and enough time, you know, stalling with other songs, they get up and get ready to play. There's a bit of a little bit of pep talk between Oenayama and uh, Matthew, in which says, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a push, uh, but I'm gonna be here now to help fix your strings, which he allegorizes literally as heartstrings. And then, you know, Curtin comes up. 
They start playing and two things happen. First off, the entire band turns into Berserk 2016 characters. Yep, I went there. Oh, 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 <laughs> I went, oh no! I went there. No. I went there, motherfucker. How how fucking could you? You <laughs> look, look, you swine. look, look. I <laughs> couldn't help but notice that they when they turned CG, like I thought, whoa, that's a. Uh, I mean, this is like the same old rule I've always said, which is don't mix CG and people, generally speaking, or don't have people that we've always like you know seen transition into CG. But that is not even really a big deal to be quite honest. I only mentioned it just because I thought it'd be funny just to point that out. But the real point I want to make, of course, is that then Matthew lets rip on a song. And no, it isn't something like, I don't know, uh, Fear Factory's linchpin as much as otherwise would like it be. It's something <laughs> of his own creation. It's him singing literally from the heart about his experiences. And everyone is blown God. away. I honestly wish, actually, come to think of it, that there'd been a scene of like the... Uh, I don't know, the previous lead singer from the band just there trying to enjoy a beer and then when Matthew starts uh, singing he just spits it all out. <laughs> I really wish that had been a thing. I know. That would have been great. I know, he was uh, he was taken aback, but uh, yeah. my god. My, what a moment, you guys. Like, this... Oh, this was like... Where, I have, I, where's he been hiding the lyrics? I do, <laughs> did he, when did he write them? I don't know, man, but I'll say this right. This has been probably one of the first times I can think of where I've had that Macross feeling outside of a Macross show. Hmm. Because not only was the music great, I really enjoyed the song itself, but it actually served a purpose to the story. It was emotive, it was very telling, and it was a moment of personal triumph. Like, imagine all the times we talked about Macross, where, you know, Cheryl gets up and sings for the people in the shelter, or Ranka sits, you know, stands up and sings, you know, like after being, you know, told that she needs to prove herself by... um, why can I not remember his name? Misharu. Thank you very much. I think that's him. Yeah. 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 yeah it's it. it's got that it. kind of feeling where it hits all of those tick boxes. It's just a perfect encapsulated moment. Okay. So I've, I've rambled long enough about that, but why is this relevant to the Kishmite? I wonder because Uwani Armour, after the song ends, actually takes Matthew off stage and kisses him there. And I think this is super, super important. And I think it's really telling of Uwani Armour's growing maturity here. Because he doesn't kiss him on, in public on the stage. Now, again, mm. I'm probably going to speak out of turn on this as a cis-set man trying to cover game material, so just take this with a pinch of salt, as always. Sorry to keep repeating this, but again, I don't want to pretend I'm any, you know, authority on this kind of material. But It bears repeating. It, it does. So, here's my thinking on this, right? There is definitely an overtness and, and a, you know, this is what this is all about necessary with this kind of material. It shouldn't hide or shy away from what it is. And that is certainly what Given has been doing. It's been very proud of what it's been about in terms of being a very mature but not naive LGBTQ plus story. You know, of, you know, someone realizing who they truly are and, you know, finding someone to share that with. But. On the other hand, though, that doesn't mean that the normal, like, you know, tenants uh, tenets and, you know, like, rules and uh, just even plain, you know, like, common sense or empathy or thinking about another person's feelings don't come into play either. And bear in mind mm-hmm. how guarded and reserved Matthew has been throughout the entire show's run, and this is the first big moment in which he's expressed himself. And the way Yonayama takes him aside to kiss him in private... I think in part because he realizes that it would be too much for him. It wouldn't be fair on him to do it publicly like that. Mm. And I think that's super mm-hmm. telling of like how much that means to him. I thought that was such a sweet moment that he wasn't willing to do that in front of everyone. I mean, 
even though Uniyama essentially doesn't even know half the people who are there. I mean, his sister's there, but it's not like he mentions her either in, in a monologue or anything like that. I thought it was super neat that it happened in private like that, just to give it a moment between them two. And to, you know, it shows how in the early episode he said, like, I was pushing you to do all these things, but he doesn't push him to do that necessarily. Yeah, that's a like a really good point. Um, and I was thinking while you were talking, like the fact that they didn't do it on stage, uh, uh, you know, you might like uh, look at that on its face and be like, ah, they're, they're just like being secretive or they're ashamed or whatever. Actually, I think it makes the moment sort of more uh, more real and valid for, for Mafuyu because I could see him especially thinking if they did it on the stage, oh, that was just part of the act. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just part of the, the rock performance. It's just something for the crowd. Whereas he wanted to explicitly say like, you know, this is not part of the performance. This is like real shit that I'm doing for you. And this is how I really feel. Hmm, absolutely. So yeah, I like, even though it's a relationship between two men and that's not something I, I've ever or will ever experience, doesn't of course mean that we can't appreciate the true emotional authenticity of it and the maturity that the characters display in doing so. This is a good lesson for anyone that just to be wary of your partner, you know, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, etc.'s feelings, and think ahead. What would they feel if you if that thing happened in public versus private? You know, there are moments that are best just shared between two people, not because they're embarrassing or anything, like generally, but because it's about the other person's feelings. So good shit to Enoyama for doing it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is a, a case by case basis with that stuff. Like I know. A lot of people in my life who had very kind of public marriage proposals, mm-hmm. and their spouses, at least what they what they share in public and, and tell me, we're we're very happy with it. Whereas I I know <laughs> my wife would have uh, been quite mortified and never in a million years wanted me to do anything like that in a public way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it doesn't mean she's ashamed of me or the feelings. It's just like. Yeah, it's not what she wanted that moment to be. Yeah, we all operate on a different baseline. And I think that it's quite important to note that Uwe Armour has probably been pushing Matthew a bit too far previously, indeed as evidenced by the end of the last episode. And now this is a change in that, where he's no longer, you know... He obviously still wants to have what he wants, which is, of course, Matthew. But he's not willing to, you know cross the line, so to speak. You know, to push things so far as he's done previously. He's be more considerate. So good for him. That was good shit. He's probably like uncoiling a little bit. Like it's he's probably had a lot of fucking pent up frustration. Well, because like with when, try, trying to understand yeah, everything like, about himself that's going like on. Like we saw with Akiko, for example. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I'm you know not to say he's gonna be like this complete like. You know, ah, I've achieved self knowledge. Now I am totally chill guy. I mean, that's not his personality. Yeah. He but doesn't go out on the stage. Oh, hopefully, and do he'll a, be able Titanic. to. Titanic. Be... I'm the king of the world. <laughs> no, no. But hopefully, he'll be able to be more um, kind of relaxed and not as tense around around his boyfriend. Mm. Um, so, can I respond to a couple things that you hit said? Hit me. Hit me. Okay. I have other talking points, but you raised so many interesting issues. Um, so I want to say that to be, uh, so 
<laughs> I'll utter the words that no one no one likes to utter. To be fair to the Hets. <laughs> right. To be fair to uh to Het romance. Um I think that there is sort of equal pandering in many, not all, obviously there are plenty of non-pandery or, you know, at least minimally pandery works aimed for guys and gals Mm -hmm. and non-binary pals. Uh, But like, I think the pandering in a lot of gay romance shows is just of the sort that doesn't grind your gears so much. Hmm. Um, I think it might have to do with sort of personality types and, you know, pregnant pauses and sad glances and things like that. Yeah. I mean, even um, in... Very syrupy type. Even in this episode, Sorry, uh, when we'll get to this scene a bit later when, I, when we talk about it, but there's a scene between Akiko and uh, Haruki on the stairs, and there's a lot of close-up shots of, like, you know, gripping of hands and all that, like... That's, I think, is there as what you would call fan service, this kind of stuff. But here's the thing, right? That, to me, is infinitely superior than fan service I see elsewhere, which is, look at this fucking ridiculous costume design. You know? That's the, <laughs> look at these yeah, panties. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about when I said before about junk. Yeah. Like, that's crafted with intent. There's, like, a lure behind it. I mean, for me, mm. like, the thing that I would like to see, personally, is not that it be fan service, but it'd be about being sexy. There's a distinction there, mm. I think. Like, the like for me, eroticism is about imagination, like, you know, temptation, alluring nature of things. So if you've literally just got, like, you know, I don't know, a girl in a cat suit or whatever, like, you know, just as, as, as there wasn't a show that I've watched recently that I still can't reveal yet, but you know exactly <laughs> which one I'm referring to, uh, or even or even <sighs> stupid shit like, you know, in other stuff we've called, like, Franks. I mean... Fuck that I show. I mean, like... And fuck you for talking about it. Well, at least buy me dinner first. Fuck's sake, man. Uh, anyway, but my point is, like, you know, there's no imagination that. It's just, it's all out there, all in plain view. Don't you like all of this, you know, you starving dog, you? <laughs> starving It dog. really is, though. It really fucking yeah. is. I mean, it, yeah, it panders to, to a certain sensibility. And I am in agreement with you that... Um, Sort of subjectively and personally speaking, I think I vastly prefer the the pandering of the the type that we are getting here and yeah. other shows like this. I also think it's less. I don't know. It feels to me, in my experience, and please, you know, to, to, to tell me how I'm wrong. And I'm sure that there are a lot of instances where. Where yeah. it's obviously I, I'm wrong about this, but it feels like less dehumanizing. Yeah, a lot of the time, exactly. at least in what I've seen. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this stuff doesn't titillate me, but I can see how that technique applied to you know het stuff would. So I'm just saying, like, mm. good fucking god, I I appreciate this show so much for just how authentic it is in every single respect with regards to its relationships. And also just the things they do with the framing and such, like, you know, close-ups of, like, you know, Haruki's hair floating in front of his face as he's pulled over by Hiko. Like, that's, like, that's the good shit right there. But, yeah, I am in agreement that, man, can we have more of this just in general, please, and less of, like, everything else that I hate? I know that's, I know that's a very broad statement, but I just wanted to put that out there as well. Ring, 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 <laughs> ring, 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 ring. 
<laughs> Better pick up the phone, Shadon. Ring. I can't reach it. Uh, uh, ah, go on. Hello, it's me. I'm calling you from Cross Game Island. Uh, I'm here to talk to you about the greatest romance for uh, boys and men ever written in comic book form and animated on the screen called Cross Game. Thank you. Okay, I will take notes of that. I'll get round to it at some point. <laughs> well, oh, uh, another the, the other thing I wanted to to respond uh, very just a brief, quick moment. Um, and I'm going to be recommending something again. Um, that that moment, that Macross moment you spoke of was um, it hit me that way too. It was incredibly powerful, emotional. Uh, loved it. Have a lot to say about it, but. Before I say anything, I just wanted to plug another anime that made me feel similarly called uh, Kids on the Slope. And there is a concert scene in episode, I believe it's episode seven. And uh, there's a, a jazz, I can't remember if it's a jazz duo or trio, but certainly the two main boys are the, the main kind of draw. But uh, they get together and play my favorite things uh a jazz cover of that and uh like they do it for the school talent Mm. show and uh sort of it's one of those where nobody in the school like gives a shit about one of the boys they don't really respect him and then they just fucking crush it Mm. like go to town on the piano and uh the drums and uh it's it's incredible now the this scene here in given is like it, it it punches a little bit harder intellectually because of the lyrics being so um be, being Yuki's uh and and Mafu's story uh and and kind of interlacing with the flashbacks and having to do and and this performance like Mafu reaching other people mm. be the sort of frustrated like not being able to communicate but well, like I was said earlier, in that frustration the, in the show, music is all about communication yeah but he like t- he like t- my favorite moment of the whole episode was when it cut to a shot of the crowd and this one young lady yes yes drew back and put her hand over her mouth and I'm like my dude you did it you reach somebody with your song, your voice, like you spoke to her, like she gets it. You communicated something of your feelings to someone like that. It was so authentic yeah. and like, oh, I just loved it. I just eat, ate yeah, it and up. She, and ate she wasn't up. even like, you know, uh, a Vardra drone or anything like that. God, <laughs> thanks, thanks for for pissing on my take. <laughs> no, God. no, you're entirely right. I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. You're entirely <laughs> correct. I just couldn't resist because, again, I actually think that's another way that you could say this is even more favorable than Macross because Macross will always have that little veneer, just a tiny little veneer of like, well, it's entirely functional. It's to service the plot and get the events going, and that'll always be to mm-hmm. certain degrees with this kind of stuff, of course. But, you know, there's no, like, diegetic, like, shell around the song of, you know, it's like, oh, my God, he's emitting, like, positive waves and they're going to, you know, cause everyone's hair to grow back or something, or at least that's why I keep dreaming. But you get my point. Like, it's actually just a even better than that because it's not based on, like, you know, external 
fact is it's purely an emotive performance. Totally. Um, okay, I've been talking for, for a bit, even though I haven't actually hit one of my No, we'll carry on points, then. Go, so go, you... go, go. Give us another. Oh, okay, okay. Um, uh, well, there is a moment that I particularly liked when... Um, gosh, they were preparing uh, to... You know, the strings had already been changed. Uh, Mafuyu had his guitar ready everyone was kind of testing and getting ready and mafia you had this um this really sort of like lost look on his face he was kind of glazed mm. over and uh uenoyama says you know hey um you're you're looking spaced out um and he says we're about to perform like where are you looking hmm. and i uh gosh something about that line really uh spoke to me because Mafuyu is in still in the throes of grief. And I just, it really resonated with my own experience of how disorienting grief can be. Mm. Like you kind of, my experience is you, you kind of like, certainly you keep going, I think in an automatic sort of way, but in terms of like, intentional direction of your life beyond kind of just surviving uh like you don't you kind of don't know where to turn or or what to do or where to look or how like where to direct your energies you don't know how to get energy and And even that feeling of being lost man i just so related to it and he he looked so so lost there and and uh Thank God Mafuyu was there to support him. I mean, not Mafuyu, uh, Uenoyama, yeah. sorry. I mean, when you say that as well, like, even even in grief also, sometimes, you know, you get stuck in patterns or repeat, like, you know, events, retrace mm. steps. I mean, we saw that, and then this is relevant to this episode and something I'll bring up in a bit. We saw that with, you know, Mafuyu wandering uh, the streets, um, you know, getting on public transport and all that, heading down the streets, going to the beach. Um, and... Right. As it turns out, that will come back, or did come back, in this episode in a very big way. Yeah, significant. Yeah, indeed. But yeah, like, I... I think that, for me, with Matthew, like, he... We all, like, process grief differently. And I don't even think at the end of this episode he's necessarily processed it. Uh, or at least dealt with it fully. But he's made a monumental step forward i mean even Mm -hmm. even divorce of the griefing like just to put it out there like doing public performance of any sort is incredibly nerve-wracking you have to have a level of bravery beyond what most people would estimate like i think like isn't like fear of speaking in public like one of the most common phobias in the world above spiders from my memory yep that is correct it's number one so even if you strips away the context of like previous events around yuki and such like that would still be a big deal for him, but like, well, here out of the park in the end, he's got that first bit out. Oh, and I should mention, by the way, uh, just to follow up my point about Uenoyama, you know, taking him to the stairwell and kissing him in private, I also should note that I think that that was also in part just to say to him, like, you've done your bit, you don't need to do any more right now. Because in theory, mm. you know, um, I mean, Matthew wasn't actually going anywhere, he was kind of led away. So in theory, like, if Yama had felt differently, he could have just left him there to play another song. 
or you know try and make something else upon the fly but he did the one one thing way more than anyone could have expected and the way in the armor again speaking to his newfound maturity here you know says you've done your bit you don't need to do any more we've got it from here so yeah uh, mm. another good shit to him then they're racking up quickly these totally totally and um I mean, how, how about Haruki by the way the real MVP. Oh, we, we, I, did, <laughs> I, did, I, did, I I yeah, like, I know. Comic genius, like improv, like totally stalling for time in a way that like kept the crowd into it and laughing and not feeling awkward. Like, what a fucking champ! What a what a he's um in basketball. Uh, oftentimes, you you could talk about players that are not superstar level, but enhance the team chemistry and help that feeling of togetherness. Call them glue guys. Haruki is the band's glue guy, for Indeed. sure. Indeed. Um, well, I suppose now is actually, because this says we're segueing here, we're actually going to address our patron question early, because there is still other stuff I want to speak about. But since we just mentioned Haruki, uh, and it's going to be relevant to what we'll be talking about, I feel we should bring you up here. Um, so this comes in from Ayla. So thank you very much, Ayla. I'm probably completely butchering your name, and I apologize for that. Um, what did you think of Akihiko this episode? I know a lot of bigger things have happened, but just any thoughts on his character so far? So, for the attentive among you, you might be thinking to yourself, wait a fucking minute, weren't you just talking about Haruki? That's not Akiko, they're different people, you know, they've not done, like, some DBFC fusion thing here. Um, well, there's a reason for that, because I think that this episode's events tie the two together so strongly that we can't really discuss Akiko on his own without discussing Haruki in the same vein. So, for me, firstly... You said that Haruki was the glue of the of the group. He's the one who keeps things running. He's like the taskmaster, if you want. Akiko... He would run the Twitter oh, account. Oh, yeah, he'd totally be the social media guy. <laughs> uh, Akiko is the heart. I mean, we've had that very much demonstrated with his talk with Uenoyama previously. But the thing is, like, for Akiko, to me at least, like, he represents one of those people who is... At a stage in his life where he's more world-wise than Uenayama is, but that doesn't mean he's wise, per se. He's still figuring things mm. out as much as anyone else. He just happens to be a, bit, a little bit ahead of the game. He's got more levels in that, you know if I mean, but he's not perfect either. And so, what I appreciate about this and his, his interaction with Haruki, when he says, like, you know, you're always saving me personally and all that, is that it reminds us that even though people like Akiko out there can give us great advice, indeed I in turn have tried to help people many times by offering them advice or even just listening while I've had many of my own problems going, that's exactly the point. We're not, you know, flawless, virtuous, like, you know, wise elder sages who know everything or, you know, complete wrecks. There is many, There are many gradients between that. And Akiko, like, he serves that role as a group's heart, but he has his own issues to deal with. And Haruki has complimented him very well. Indeed, there's all the evidence you probably need of the fact that these two should probably hook up at some point. And I wonder, like, you know, if Akiko's saying, like, you know, you can afford to be a little conceited, you know? <laughs> what a tease. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, like, it's like, hey, you fucking rule, dude. <laughs> like, appreciate yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Feel good. Um, how close do you think... Do, do you think there was any skinship happening between those two off camera? We only got to see Akihiko's incredibly long neck <laughs> and uh, <laughs> buff shoulders. Uh, um, well, there was the arm grab, I suppose. So that's certainly a start. 
Mm, but they've right. had skinship yeah. before they, they when uh, Akiko's like styled Haruki's hair. That skinship there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's that is intimate. That is intimate. You don't let you just don't let anybody do your hair. I mean, come on. I know. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. God damn it. Oh, you that that you said something. Oh, I was go just going to joke that 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 burns me almost as much as when I put the head and shoulders on my scalp, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, don't do that. Why would you do that? Oh god. Um. Oh, you know. I just wanted to say really quickly, uh, circling back to you mentioned uh, Mafuyu taking a big step forward, oh, mm-hmm. and like you know how his writing and performing was like. Um, and I mean, I feel like that point can't be understated, and I just think I, this is so huge for our boy, and and I love that. The la- like the last not lyrics of the song, but sort of his inner thoughts. I think singing allowed him to cut out a lot of background noise and distraction mm. and really focus, which I, th- I think that's the case for a lot of different activities for people. You know, when they talk about like, oh, when I love when I do what I love to do, it's like, you know, the time flies by or or I'm in my zone. Like I can be in my in my like uh, there's a wrestler called Will Ospreay that talks about like, you know, people are like, oh, your schedule is so crazy. Like you wrestle so much. Why do you do it? You're going to get hurt. And he's like, well, because I'm incredibly depressed all the time, except for when I'm wrestling. So I want to be I want to be in there as much as possible so I can forget. Yeah. And 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 I think like so he's he's in that. And he's able to crystallize Mafuyu. I think his feelings in a few statements, like his last few, he says, "Like, you know, I can't forgive you, Yuki. I can't forgive myself, hmm. but I want to forgive you, and I miss you." Like that may all seem really trite and basic, but like it's also very primal and deeply felt. And for him to like wade through all the bullshit and like say that and acknowledge that, it's like. He's reached a new plateau, for sure. Going back to Akiko and Haruki, by the way, can I just talk about how that scene is shot? In that we never mm-hmm. we never see either of them like in long distance. It's always perpetually close up to emphasize the intimacy of it. I mm-hmm. mean, again, me telling you that this show is technically proficient and it has some genuinely great storyboarding and direction behind it, I might as well be telling you that fire is hot. Breaking news at 11, you know. I, oh, did I ever... I mean, did, I mean, did I ever tell you about the fact that I served in the military and I got promoted to becoming Captain Fucking Obvious? Well, here you do now. Well, congratulations, Captain. You now are... I'm now going to refer to you as Captain on a regular basis. Doug. <laughs> Captain Doug. Oh, Doug God. Obvious. No. <laughs> Captain Doom. Um... <laughs> So, gosh, where else do I want to take the discussion? Or do you have another? Do you have Do you have anything to add on Akiko? Um, by the way, just to answer Ayla's question. Oh, that's right. Sorry, we have to talk about. Um, we have to talk about uh, Ayla. Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't really have too much to add. I mean, he, yeah, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't a strong focus of the episode. I loved the bits between him and Haruki, like we mentioned. Um, he seems 
I think your characterization of him as the heart of the show is accurate. You know, he plays the drums after all, the beating heart. Oh, uh, nice. Keep, keeping, keeping the nice. tempo. Keeping nice. the tempo going. Um, but yeah, he's just like such a steady Eddie for the rest of them. Um, and like, I think he's like an interesting and accurate sort of representation of like the heart of that group of guys, honestly, because because he is a bit reserved and he doesn't really talk about his feelings very much, but when he does, it's kind of profound. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think he played a good, a good role here. Um, and did you, and, and I, I liked the fact that his roommate kind of had reactions and whatnot that were apart and different from him and helped to sort of separate them as characters because they were kind of mushed together a little bit for me. Mm. Yeah, he immediately spied uh, Matthew's natural talent. So we'll see more from him soon, if I suspect. Although I'm, I should mention that we're now only two episodes out. So will we have time to wrap up the stuff with uh, Akiko, Haruki, uh, Ugetsu, and Yayoi? Because we've got we've <laughs> got the uh, the love check square here. Like you know, we need to bite into it. Yeah. I hope I, I think and hope we've closed the book largely on Hiragi um, and Kasai. I, I feel Kasai, like I, probably, I'm going to put twenty quid yeah. down that Kasai will not return again in the show. <laughs> I, I, she'll she'll be in some kind of like in like fucking um, montage. And she won't say a word. She'll be she'll have no lines. <laughs> yeah, that seems also possible. It's going to be one of those two. But to be fair, Kasai served her purpose. That being said, if you've listened to our previous podcasts on this, uh, put a pin in what I've said about her previously just for in a little bit because that will lead into the okay. kernel of concern. Wow, that sounds really Ooh. ominous, doesn't it? Holy shit. The kernel of concern. Yeah. I don't have a good alliterative name. The germ of... Uh... Oh, I don't have a good like J or G sounding synonym <laughs> for concern or anxiety. Yeah, I don't know. You got me beat. We'll uh, we'll figure one out in the in the time between this episode and the next one. All right, so uh, I'm going to stay on positives for a moment. Let's talk about the beach. I mean, the beach is great in general, but let's talk about the beach specifically in this show. The 1990s film with Leonardo DiCaprio, The Beach. Mm, no. Tremendous soundtrack that movie, by the way. The Beach. Check it out. It's it's great movie. Eh. It's fine. It's all right. It's not bad. The soundtrack, mwah. Anyway, given beach. <laughs> in, uh, in given town, USA. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, oh, you're now entering given town. <laughs> Population gay. <laughs> all right. So we, of course, brought up previously the fact that Matthew spends uh, a part of one of the previous episodes uh, traveling towards the beach in a very deliberate fashion and I didn't quite pick up that it was as deliberate as I thought I was wandering aimlessly no uh, to the show's immense credit uh, his journey with Yuki that we see later on post credits um, this is like a full flashback here is mm-hmm. him retracing the steps uh, that he and Yuki had taken previously when they went to the beach like frame for frame camera angle for camera angle it's identical. The only difference is, is Yuki is with him. And I thought that was like fantastic how they called back to that. That it was literally the same thing again. And mm-hmm. 
you know, he that perhaps part of Yuki was still with him with the guitar and such. But yeah, it needs noticing that that was a very deliberate callback there um, to the previous uh, time that he had walked around there on his own. Not so hot necessarily on the washing away of footprints, because that seems a bit obvious, but uh, you know what? Sometimes it's called for. And it's certainly built up enough emotional impact since this point that I'd argue it's probably earned it, to be honest. Uh, by the way, I also want to note some other quick things, guys. The dialogue between um, Matthew and Yuki in this flashback when they head to the beach is probably some of the most authentic banter between two people of that age I've ever heard. <laughs> it's really it's good. It's great. And it also goes to show how Matthew has changed, like how he previously was able to verbally yeah. spar. Like, he wasn't... I mean, I think, like, you know, the previous descriptions we heard of um, of Matthew and Yuki where one was extra, one was intra, are accurate, but I think they were overstated in both directions because clearly Matthew is able to, like, you know, banter back and forth. Like, Yuki just says to him, oh, yeah, let's go fuck in the bathroom when we get back. Let's, let's, let's do <laughs> yep, that yep. because why not? He's a... What a, what a Casanova. I mean, he's just sweeping Matthew off his feet. <laughs> honestly, honestly. Come on, man. Buy, buy him some flowers, something. Well, maybe they had a bath bomb. I don't fucking know. <laughs> it's a scented one. Hey, sorry, Matthew. Oh, Do you know yeah. what I've got? Fucking sea salts, lad. Like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I, maybe there is a lot of you know implied candles and what. Oh, oh. Anyway, anyway. <clears throat> So yeah, that banter back and forth was really good. Like in that moment where he says that, then and then Yuki just sorry, not Yuki, Matthew responds back and says, uh, no. I was like, that's great. That's that's actual like back and forth. It's not like, you know, completely stilted non-human dialogue, but at the same time it also shows how it, he's changed. Like, it's easy for us to be told, like, you know, oh, this person's suffering because this person close to him has died, but it's also great for us to be shown it in very subtle ways as well. And it's very clear how his dialects and his cadences have changed since that, you know, since Yuki's passing. Yeah. No, I, I definitely noticed that. Like, in his... Like... Yeah, he's just a lot more... You know, he's petulant. He's a little whiny. He, you know, has some verbal fencing with his partner. Yeah, he's just this, there's just more kind of personality there. Exactly. And uh, it is really interesting to see. And that's that makes it set like, I, I think his kind of development has been interesting because it's not like a, this total regression. It's like, you know, he is maturing because he's going from that to totally kind of inward focus to now starting to branch out again and reconnect with people and when he says you know i'm not lonely this time it's not like he's in i think he really can say this and mean it mm. you know he's got his band he's got his basketball bros he's he loves music again he's writing he's got uh all these different connections he's reconnecting with people from his childhood to some degree like and yeah i mean i, th I our boy is is Taking big steps, man. He's on a good they path forward. They so fast. God. Sato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good shit. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, just to quickly swing back. Thank you for your question, Ayla. Um, 
if you are a patron warrior, I'm sure yeah. if you're listening to this is a point where you may not be one, but would like to get involved and ask us questions on shows as they're ongoing, uh, do feel free to check our Patreon and, you know, possibly drop us a quick, couple of quid here and there. That'd be nice. And it'll get you all those privileges and more. We'll come back to that later. Let's continue talking about the episode because I've got plenty more to say. Patreon.com slash show. Do it. Do it. Yes. Wait, we got another question that we can save for later. It's not in the question channel, but it is a sentence in the interrogative mood slash voice slash whatever the proper grammatical term is in the series discussion. So I'll throw it out there in a mo. Uh, all but right. Uh, do you have any more talking yeah. points, Doc? Oh, I do indeed. Um, sh- let's see. Uh, I'll go with this one. So I another sort of moment that I really liked was uh, the bit about Oenoyama and freedom when he is apologizing to Mafuyu for breaking the strings and kind of what happened in that in that moment. I was worried about that scene. You know, I was like, God, like how this really hurt Mafuyu and, and Ueniyama was a super dick. Like how is he going to kind of make this make this right in a way that feels earned and, and good uh, before they kind of go out on stage and isn't super like perfunctory. But like he managed to do it and, and part of it was just him being really vulnerable and closing his eyes and saying like, when I'm with you, I'm free. <laughs> I'm careful. That song just came to me. But yeah, he basically said, um, look, free, like when I was just in other bands, like playing the chords I was told, holy crap, what an analogy. I feel like what a, there's, there's some, some commentary happening in these lines. But when I was just <laughs> doing what I was told, you know, I was uh, not having any fun, but you know, when we're playing music together, it's a mess. I'm really scattered. I'm not at the, I don't feel like at the top of my game, but I love it. I'm having so much fun when I'm free to, to like play with you and, and play our music together. And I love your voice. And I'm just like, yes, I love this as a, on the level of, again, like music being uh, artistic expression and kind of free like a a way to like kind of freely unlock things for people in terms of communicating with others and producing works that are difficult to just say directly but also i love this on the level of like you know that sarah's and my cops kind of thing (laughs) where it's you know about like well you know society telling me how i should act and shit is very constraining and doesn't feel good even though I can put on a good show but like guess what when I'm myself my my gay self and and I am loving you and into you it feels good man that freedom is when good you, when you mentioned Sirens of Mine and Cops then I just imagined Rayo and Mabu being the follow up tax after the seasons <laughs> would that be incredible <laughs> <laughs> hello hello is this thing on all right, we're going to do something totally different. Broadway. Here we go. <laughs> it would be incredible, wouldn't it? Just imagine, like, the curtain comes down, and it just comes back up, and they're just doing their, Soya! 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 <laughs> yes, I was going to ask you, like, how did it go? Oh, Soya! Soya! Well, anyway, 
Anyway, Tom Sawyer. Uh, no, I I agree whole lot with everything you said there. Yeah, it like it's just so good to see where the armor like finally come back into his own skin and like be comfortable with him, more comfortable with himself. And even to the point where he's like again, like I said before, conducting himself in a mature manner and a respectful manner towards Matthew. Like you know, he's pushed him too far previously, and now he's like respecting boundaries and you know making sure he's not exposed or like you know made uncomfortable by being out in public with this thing that's going on. I mean, he's just done the most public thing he's ever done in his entire life. Let's not push it too far. So yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, and that was that's that was my point. I have I have one more, but I will let me toss it to you. And unless are you going to go negative? Because I have one more positive. Uh, I have a kind of halfway one here. Oh, this is more of an expansion on what we discussed previously. Because it really we do need to follow this up. Let's talk about what happened okay. in the previous episode and how things are expanded on here. Perfect. This was the other thing I was going to talk about. So this is perfect. so. You, all right. So yeah. Um, content warning again, as before, for discussion of suicide because we're going to be going back to what happened with Yuki here. Uh, but we do get a revelation as to exactly what was said at the end of that dis- um, of that argument that they had in the street, uh, which was Matthew saying to uh, some to um, Yuki something along the lines of, "So would you die for me then?" And well, the answer to that question was uh, perhaps not much, not so much stated, but acted upon. So, okay, here's the thing, right? I previously complained that we didn't get enough info. And uh, my complaint that, you know, the way in which the info we got last time was conveyed strictly to us, but was so piecemeal that it felt a bit odd, especially coming from a character who is tangential to the story, arguably. I think that the way that that is structured and executed is still kind of jank. But now that we've heard from you, from, not you, sorry, from Matthew himself, that particular line, like, it has completely crossed that threshold for me now where I am on not on board with the axe of course not in any way shape or but i have an understanding of it now that is sufficient to get me behind the story and the thing it's trying to tell with it because speaking very personally here like i've been in moments where i've been absolutely pissed out of my face and i have been miserable and and feeling wretched and i have had those thoughts now since i'm obviously not communicating to you all from beyond you know time and space and all that i didn't act on that but i have been close enough or felt close enough to doing so um, especially given words that have been said to me or that even weren't necessarily meant maliciously but I just misinterpreted our actions etc I won't bore you with the details that this is the point where it transitioned from as I said before feeling like it was taking the piss to being very very much relatable and understandable and all it took was one line indeed part of me thinks to myself that you could have jettisoned um, I can't remember the character's name but it, it doesn't really matter Like you couldn't have jettisoned that account previously from the episode without from the precept says without consequence because this is the key right hiragi yeah, hiragi yeah, that's right because yeah. we get the key line here and no wonder that in that case matthew feels guilty because good job hiragi you fucking unreliable narrator <laughs> for making us hate this shit <laughs> like, yeah nice one. Oh, i feel like it's fair to still have problems with it but um but jesus christ like it was uh i mean at least this line like tried to put some meat on the bones of this account and it definitely did because you know like i'm again speaking very personally from my own experience here we don't of course see yuki's thought processes and the you know minutes or hours that led up to him doing that awful thing but i've been there i've been in that dark spot and i can totally understand that as being a possibility that you know pushed too far that could happen 
And again, it doesn't even need to, it's not a question of like, you know, what's objectively true is in terms of what's said. Like, you know, for all that, you know, we criticize him, Haragi did say that it was just like, you know, a, a simple spat. But that was his perspective. Things that have happened to me in my past that were, you know, just simple things or mild slights or not even a big deal, you know, or not even meant for me, you know, things that I've interpreted very, very badly. So I can totally understand it. And I think that, you know, now that we've been given that line, um, that's one of the reasons why, beyond simply just the awesomeness of the events in this episode, the fist-pumping moments, that I'm back on board with this show. Although, yeah. like I say, it sanded off the edges of my criticism of the previous episode, but it hasn't removed them. I think the structural stuff still remains. I really do think that it could have been solved by simply having Ueno Yama be the one that that story is told to, rather than Hiragi trying to speak to us, the audience, asking for some kind of like divine forgiveness. Because it's not ultimately, you know, re- relevant really in the long run beyond that line about it being a simple spat. And if it had been told instead to Inuyama and it was framed about his reactions rather than our own, then that'd be more understandable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, they had to do something. You know, I it, it was just... If, if they would have left it, you know, it would have just been disgraceful. I'd have <laughs> so, been pissed I, as fuck. <laughs> I mean, I we super were, I feel like, last week, and you know, I, I'm just I'm glad they added something. Maybe there are still there. Maybe there's still more to come. Maybe like they'll slowly peel back the onion. I'm actually, or uh, if I may be so honest, I'm actually okay with us leaving it at that. As far as Yuki's concerned, I mean, we have enough now about the life that he spent with Matthew. I mean, even we even learned, for example, that Yuki was the one who uh, dobbed in um, Matthew's father and got him arrested. After that line, in which, yeah. which by the way, is also another thing that I still think is completely peripheral and could have been jettisoned. I was gonna, I was gonna mention that that, that there's, you know, the 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 concerns about the um sort of flippancy or paper thin suicide uh, characters, not characterization, but that that element of the narrative are one thing, but the sort of you know tragic damaged gay boys you know self-destructing kind of that whole thing still very much alive um and it's part of uh but because they planted those seeds it's part of why i have my uh my worry my one lingering worry shadon about where this could go in the future do you want to do you want to hear what that is i think now is probably good a time as any yeah because I only have one more thing to switch with my own, like, you know, uh, kernel of concern. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, now is probably a good time as any. So, uh, lay it on me, Doc. Well, the last thing... I I can't remember if it's the last thing we hear before the credits or before the end of the episode, but one of the final... It's a very kind of final-sounding line. Mafuyu says... Um, this is the story of one summer. This is the story of one evening. Ooh. And the summer was, I'm pretty sure, referring to his summer with Yuki. I think I think the song, I'd have to go back and re-look well, at the song lyrics, but I'm pretty sure it indicates. Um, right? If I recall correctly from what was discussed with one of our patrons, uh, the summer that he is speaking of, 
could also refer to Ueniyama because Ueniyama's name has summer as part of its, you know, makeup in Japanese. Okay, okay, could also, yes, okay, that's that's probably more plausible. Um, but I'm worried about that story of one evening, and, you know, it could refer to this night in which he made such a huge leap forward and started playing his music um publicly uh i hope it's not like referring to some sort of like a finality i hope it's not like foreshadowing mafuyu's own tragic end be it suicidal or otherwise in the same way that yuki retroactively <laughs> in the flashback foreshadows his own death when he says you know um like I want you to really remember this because you won't remember it in 10 years. And, you know, why would you, why would, I don't know. It feels like the kind of thing that if- Mind you, if Haruki brings up the idea you, of death flags in this episode, so you're not entirely without merit on that. Oh, man. Well, like, if you were gonna, if you were like, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life with you, it feels like a weird Is thing to Ash say. Is he Is he not like, man? Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, so I have I have my worries that Mafuyu is going to something will befall him the the trope hammer will come down upon uh, him. I hope not. I hope not. All right, now that's not actually the kernel of concern I have. As it turns out, I've got something else in mind. Uh, it's an expansion of what we discussed previously, and what I feel is going to be. A problem, a problem with the episode, uh, episode, what am I talking about? A problem with the show, um, at least from my perspective. So let's talk... Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's hear it, Captain. Let's Doug. talk about Yayoi for a second here. So she has, a, ah. she has a line before the opening where she says, take care of Ritsuka for me. Okay, let me expand on that a little bit here. I mentioned previously that I had a problem with Given's portrayal of the heterosexual characters, particularly the women, just because they weren't, in my opinion, involved enough in the lives of those people they cared about. And I must absolutely stress, so it's completely crystal here, I'm not asking them to be involved romantically in any way, shape, or form with any of the other characters, because it is explicitly a boys' love show, and that's what that should be about. We don't need to have it the, mu the waters muddied here. There's no need for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're the married one on this on this podcast, you lecherous fucker. He's not it. He's not into you. Call me. So, okay. Here's the thing, though, right? There's a word that I'm going to bring up here, and it should hopefully make my concern completely crystal clear here. That word is ally. And that's something that I'm trying to be, and Lord knows you can tell me if I'm doing it right or not. But here's the thing, right? What I think Given should be doing with Yayoi, and to a lesser extent Kasai, although her purpose was different in that she was meant to relay uh, initial concerns that, about Matthew's history, which of course were a piecemeal, rumour-mongering nonsense, really, devoid of context. I mean, the Snopes article on that is definitely not positive, let's put it that way. <laughs> but, in Yayoi's case, right, she serves a dual function here, both as a het character and also as uh, Ueniyama's sister. Why is that relevant? I'm not saying that she's going to fuck it, fuck him or anything like that, of course. But the point I try and make here is that Given seems to not want family or het people to be involved in supporting the gay characters. 
And that's the sound you hear in the background of people mass unsubscribing to us because I made that statement. Now, however, however, that might be the point, though. That could very well be the case, you know, that it's up to, you know, people who are gay to, you know, figure out amongst themselves because they're the people best in the know. And you know what? If that is the intent, if that's the, you know idea behind the way this is written then that's absolutely fine you don't need us nor should you but i would what i think it would be better if she could be involved a bit more in like trying to help her brother rather than just kind of being there because i mean what has she done in the show what has her purpose been thus far <laughs> banter basically. Mad, mad bants yeah mad banter i mean Again, absolute stress here, not asking for this to be turned into, you know, like the, you know, heterosexual hour or insert or anything like that in this Boyle show. That's stupid. But, like, none of the family members are involved in helping you any armor through this anyway. Um, Yayoi's pres- like, seems to abdicate her responsibility to Akiko and the others, rather than trying to find out. And I'm not asking again that she, you know, have a long in discussion. Just say, you do what you need to do, brother. You you go, you go be happy. And something, I don't know. Um, this is, again, one of those things, though, where I feel like, if, I, as I say, it's the intent that, you know, she is left behind because ultimately she can't be helpful to him because she's not what he needs in life. Absolutely fine with that. No problem. But otherwise, I feel like she's just there. Are you saying they need the blessing of the hits? <laughs> Shadon? Of no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Obviously not. Obviously not. You're not saying that. Um I posited last time when we when we talked about this that um that perhaps uh given that the intent of this kind of fiction for uh both male and female audiences, I think, is to create a sort of safe fantasy to explore sexuality and uh kind of uh feel at home and and again safe in in this sort of world and perhaps the idea you know perhaps it's a little too real perhaps it's too spicy to like bring in you know like well how would the sister react and like let's we have to have a coming out to the sister and a and a big talk or, or even the support, I don't know, like um, maybe, I'm not saying you're asking for that even, but like maybe even like kind of creating a bridge between uh, their, the, the thing that the boys have together and the rest of their lives. Like I could see where you might think, well, I don't know if this is super healthy to like endorse to do in real life or whatever, but I think it just might be in service of the fantasy and like bringing in bringing in those other elements just might break yeah. the safe immersion that they're going yeah. for. And I don't have to repeat that every time we bring this up or whatever, but I just again I I put that out there and tell me uh patrons and and listeners uh if I, that's just a bunch of uh of garbage yeah. if you disagree. And likewise with what I've said as well. I mean one could argue, as I say, that maybe it's just unabashedly about the Boyle of Element, which it should be. You know, that's what we're all here for. So all else is secondary to that. In which case, well, how dare I criticize a show for 
being about what it you know wants to be about fucking hell that'd be like complaining that my you know barbecue ch- chicken tastes like dare i say barbecue <gasps> fucking insanity <laughs> i tells you lad oh anyway where are the crisps oh god but yeah that's basically my point like i'm just a bit lost at the moment on the ioi's like purpose in the show when a purpose is there I get for her to have which is to you know support her brother like it doesn't like all the stuff with her and Akiko fucking whatever I mean I don't even think that'll be resolved before the series is over but I don't mind that so much because it's tangential and there is plenty of manga out there of this show I mean we may get a second season and I hope we do uh, so, maybe it could, so maybe it could be resolved then but that's not the reason the big reason why we're here of course so it's also nice that there's like a textually bi character. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, uh, for those who are still listening and haven't furiously hit the unsubscribe button, thank you very <laughs> much for your patience and understanding there. But yeah, like you know, I like I say I want to be a, I want to be a good ally. I want to help I want to help out in that respect. So I would like to see that maybe that would be represented as well that there you know, we're all on board with it. As I yeah. say, maybe that's the intent that, you know, we're unabashedly about, you know, LGBTQ+, about the gay men in this show, and all of the concerns are secondary and irrelevant, and in which case, more fucking power to it, because that in itself is great. Yeah, no, I, I don't think, I mean, I certainly wouldn't mind if the scope were expanded, you know what I mean? But like... But yeah, I and I do see where you're coming from. Mm. Um, I mean, it's like in um, I really, really. It's like do. when I've been watching Fruits Basket lately. Like the family elements of that show have been so key to um, the relationships the characters have. Like even be they supportive or you know hostile, as it were. Like with Momji, for example, or the more recent episode where Hanajima's parents were, they were really trying to help her out. But they had no idea what to do, like, or to explain away her powers or abilities. But they still supported her. Now, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that, you know, queerness in itself is some sort of strange and noble thing. But what I'm trying to pull... The black box. The black box, yeah. But what, I'm try, what I'm trying to bring in, in common here, what I'm trying to draw a comparison to, is that support and love from a family member uh, for someone who is going through an experience like that of, like, coming to terms with who they are. And for Given's part, like the family members we know thus far are abusive father and sister number two one two, uh, you know, glamour lady archetype. I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think to be fair to you, you're not asking for them to introduce like foreign elements. You're not like, where are the politics in this oh world? My. You know what I mean? You're just like, yeah, yeah, you like uh why does it talk about like the government and shit or uh you know, why don't they just they need to show more food? Get the Where's food the talk animation about drink in cans? here. I've not watched anime in a while about <laughs> drink cans. No. No, don't introduce <laughs> that. Um no. But like Yayoi is there and she's the sister and it's I feel like uh, pretty natural, you know, to just be like, well, what is she doing? And I would love to hear from manga readers like what do you think uh of how Yayoi is being portrayed here and 
you know, how she gets uh, treated in the manga. Let us know in generalities and non-spoilery terms, if you please. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I would very much like to hear your opinions on what I've said. And other stuff as well. Like, we're, we're open debate, open forum on all of this. We're just trying, you know, figure our own way through this stuff and just find our thoughts on it. But as I say, since we're not authorities on this material, nor can we ever really be, this is why we want you all, you know, listening at home to chime in with your thoughts on it similarly. We're all richer for, like, you know, having our own opinions come together. Here, here. Here, here. Hmm. Shadon, I'm going to read this question uh, posed in the series yes. discussion. It's a quick, uh, it's it's a quickie. So, Wushin uh, uh, Suibian asks, "Did you notice that now we see Yuki's face in the opening? I have... before this episode, they never show his face because he had not been shown in the anime until episode eight. That is correct. Uh, I admittedly did not see this at first, but I actually spoiled Wushin's uh, comment before I did the rewatch prior to recording, and I know and I spoiled it then and. You know what, right? Like, for all my ignorance on not spying that, I've got to say that, again, this is the kind of shit I love. Little details, little changes. You don't have to do anything extensive. You have to, like, make a brand new OP and all that, you know. You don't have to do some crazy shit. Just small things like that really do show the care and love that go into works like this. And they give us meaning as well. Like, you know, this is when the veil has been lifted off who Yuki is, literally. No longer a faceless, Hmm. you know, person of, like, local myth. Now we have some more substance to who he was as a person and the inciting event that led to his death. Completely agree. Could not have said it better myself. Hmm. So on that note, do you have other items or have we have we completed uh nine niven? <laughs> nine niven. <laughs> uh I have nothing else really to add. Um Apart from just re-saying how glad I am that the show's found its fussing again. And that it truly had that, like, moment of triumph. Indeed, I think that might be the word I would use to describe this show once it's all over. Triumph. You know, it's yes. a triumph for its, you know, for uh, in general, for what it represents, for, you know, its willingness to plainly and maturely handle its content about LGBTQ relationships, about, like, you know, learning who you are, learning about your sexuality... But it's also about the triumph the characters see, you know, in, in their own lives, the things that they work hard for. I mean, let's not also take away from the fact that insofar as these guys are a band, like, we see Ueniyama working his ass off throughout much of this show, practicing and preparing, learning things. He's fired up, he's passionate about what he does. And, yeah, like, it's a... It, God, I've completely lost the capacity for rational talking here. But maybe, maybe the triumph of the gay rock quartet. <laughs> but then again, maybe the fact that I am like you know starting to babble on a little bit because I can't properly find the words to express that is in of itself maybe you know a good sign. Like you know maybe that's an endorsement. Yeah, this episode fucking ruled. It had a uh, as I said on the Discord, which you can become a member of on Patreon.com/slash/WaterWeDesho for as literal, little, little, little as two dollars a month Mm. subscribe now um as as i said on there this episode had an extremely high fuck yes quotient which is a huge deciding factor in how much i enjoy something how many times it makes me get up out of my seat and say fuck yeah and it happened 
it happened many times here. And for all the reasons you said and everything we talked about, I mean, this was a tremendous episode, uh, you know, f- sort of f- production foibles be damned. <laughs> oh, that uh, was mine. I found know, that funny and not distracting, this, really. This, you know, we didn't even talk about the incredible CG fucking railroad crossing bar. <laughs> that thing was beautiful. <laughs> It's tremendous. It also was bent. Yeah. It was not straight. Yep, graced um, with all the like, like the rest of the show's characters. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean that that bar was graced with all the technology 1993 Pixar had on hand. Hey, also, did you notice the one guy with unnaturally colored ha- blue hair? Like that. This anime is usually full of those kind of characters, but like this being a more grounded show, not. And then suddenly in the dressing room in one of the early shots, boom, a guy with like, you know, royal blue hair <laughs> hanging out. So what's his story? Uh, his story is that he fell in, you know, a tank of the stuff while he was at work. It was just a complete accident. <laughs> yep. Whoops. Oh, man. Uh, Whoops. But yeah. All right. One episode. I'll just restay again, folks, by the way, that I would very much love to hear everyone's opinions on, like, we we do want it to be open dialogue and open forum here like you know if you have thoughts on what we've said and if you agree or you disagree and you want to talk to us about it then tell us like you know like i say we're all better off for knowing each other's opinions and forming like you know like like refining our own in response to others i mean this is part of the reason why i'm not doing this particular one solo uh also because i want to spare doc from the horror of soda waifus you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> i'm so grateful yeah but yeah like Please do if you want. If you want to chime into us, then you can let us know at Twitter or Warrior Desh Show. You can email us at warriordeshow at gmail or drop us a comment on even on SoundCloud or YouTube. Tell us what you think. Uh, we're more than happy to hear about it and discuss it. Get involved, lads and lasses. Help us out. We love to hear from you and all those venues mentioned. And yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening. As we played our own messy, scattered, yet somehow beautiful music together on this episode of Second Stream. Shadon, it has been a pleasure. Where can people find you yourself, though, if they want to chat with you on You'll Twitter? You'll find me in the club. You know? <laughs> <laughs> bump, 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 bump. Well, you know, that could also, you know... That that is probably true more often than not. But otherwise, here you are. Reach out to right. me. You can find me at Shade and Ten Ten on Twitter. Feel free to you know at me with you know hot takes, cool takes, high takes, low takes, etc. I'm up for all of them. You're into having sex. You ain't into making love. <laughs> that's how that's the that's how the lyrics in the club go. Uh, you could find me at the Subtle Doctor on Twitter. Um, and yes, once again, to all the doglets and the non-doglets out there. We love you all so much. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a fabulous weekend. Uh, Until Vinland Saga on Monday, we want to say to all of you, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Good night.